Welcome to episode 224 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, do you like that I finally updated our notes template? To so now it has indicate that I'm in Manchester? Yeah, it's so that you don't have to remember anymore, that you're not in Chicago, that you do live in Manchester. But, but what if people think I'm in New Hampshire? Manchester by the sea, rather than oh. Manchester on, on the River Mersey. You have a river? The River Mersey. Oh, is that like the Thames? No, that's in London. Oh, you yeah, fool, I, mean, you I, fool. I understand that. You is un- it connected? You uncultured like smile. I, I don't know that they're connected. I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. Because I, I think the River Mersey comes from the Irish Sea, or maybe it feeds into the Irish Sea. Well, that's all well and good. I love a good river discussion. Uh, we don't have rivers here in Colorado besides the Colorado River, but enough about that. The what, what, hold on, hold elephant on. in the room. <laughs> What's the difference between a river and a stream? You know what I mean. Like I've been up in steamboat. I imagine it's scale. I've I've been in steamboat. I've like bathed in the hot <laughs> springs that are like flowing water of snowmelt. I guess that's the cold the cold springs. Yeah. There's the cold pools and the hot pools. Like yeah, okay. That, we're, we're, that sounds good. It's rushing water. Is it, I love is hot that, springs. Is that not a river? I don't know. I mean, I think it is a river. I was, I just forgot that we actually have the Colorado River because it's, you know, it's so parched at this point. Yeah. Speaking of parched, I'm thirsty for Dave Harbarger and he's not here. Oh yeah, Dave, fill up my glass, Daddy. I'm, a, I'm, my, my glass is half empty because Harbarger <laughs> is camping or something like that. Well, it's okay, Shane. You and I get to make each other laugh today. Just the two of us. Yeah. Uh, Stanislav, what have you been doing? I was, I asked you this before we actually turned the microphones on where we were what, in the green room, as mm-hmm. they say. Mm-hmm. And you reminded me that we should just talk about this on microphone. So what's, what's, what are your weekends like since you've been to Manchester? I mean, I know when, you know, you lived in Chicago, it's just trying to find parking at the Trader Joe's mm-hmm. for three hours, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the, par- the traffic on Ashland and Western and things like that. So what do you, what's your life like now when you don't have to park at Trader Joe's? Yeah. You know, now we pay for parking everywhere we go. A lot of the car parks, which is what they call them here, they require a nominal fee. But we still don't have a car. So what, you know what I did today? I took the train, not the tram, but I took the Northern Line, the regional train, and I took it to Nutsford. You did not. That's not a real place. Nutsford is a real place spelled with a K. Knut- oh, yeah, of course. Knutsford. It's in Cheshire. Cheshire Way. Just, sure. Just on the edge of the Peak District. The peaks were in the distance. We mm-hmm. went to this beautiful, beautiful park. Truly, I, I, I'm not doing oh. a bit. It was the most beautiful park I've seen since moving here. It's huge. It's, it's a heritage site, in fact. It's called Tatton Park. Like UNESCO? Uh, more Northern Trust, or National Trust, rather. Okay. Um, it. Yeah, it's 1,000 acres big. So to put that into perspective, Shane, do you know how big... Yeah, give, me, give me that in American units. Yeah, so do you know how big Central Park is? Yes, yeah, that's big. So Central Park is 842.6 acres. So Tatton Park me. is even bigger than that. Just to what? convey to you, like this is a very large, big open space and it's got this lake in the middle. Yeah. It's got like the peaks in the distance. It's surrounded by just walking paths and green space and like lush, beautiful, like mile high trees. And I know I've got Zelda on the mind because I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom. I just felt like I was in Hyrule, dude. 
Like every, I'm like constantly looking around. I was like, if I was, if I was in Zelda right now, I could just run over to those mountains. I could climb them. And you're walking. <laughs> if you, you get, if you have your stamina high enough. Yeah. Which I don't, but you can ascend. And you now the climbing cap. Now you're walking along these, these walking paths and just like right next to you without any enclosures are just like sheep, just flocks of sheep, herd of deer. Just, you're just like there in nature. It's really, really something else. And it's got a park and it's got like restaurants and a little like what I think is a permanent carnival and gift shops and a playground and a farm. It has this working farm with rare breed animals. And we, we did a little demonstration where they put, I sat at a table and they put chicks, little like week old chicks on the <laughs> table. And I got to pet a chick. So that's that what the I, demo. That, the demo was like, here's what you're eating. This is what you do in England, Shane. You go on walking paths. You uh, try to avoid the deer uh-huh. and, the, and the sheep. And you you have a beautiful day. Yeah, that's my usual weekend plan too, is avoiding sheep and deer. And I succeed most of the time. <laughs> I didn't know there were deer in, in Colorado, but I guess that would make sense. <laughs> There's deer everywhere. What are we doing this week so that we don't get put on blast oh, on some God, like Reddit thread right. about how we have too much too much back channel or something like that? Yeah, we've been or, talking for you know, too much preamble about nothing. We really should just make an episode about England, though. I I really think on this week's show, what we yeah, are truly doing. Episode where I interview you. I love that. It's uh, it's honestly what I've always wanted, to be honest. On this week's show, <laughs> we're checking in on the weekend's NRG series. They did a, at the time of recording, we have data for their Pioneer 10K showdown, which is like the Saturday men event. There's also a Sunday 5K. Yeah. We don't have the data for that yet, so we're not, yeah. we can't talk about it, but our Literally friends- cannot. We're con- contractually forbidden. From making up data. Um, but yes, our friends at Nordridge are over in St. Paul, Minnesota. So we're going to talk about the data we do have in Pioneer. And on top of that, I'm also going to talk to you, Shane, a little bit about my own Pioneer play. I played a Pioneer RCQ oh, yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Did it? Did you win? Uh, no. <laughs> did not win. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. God, I'm I sorry to hear that. I, I would have loved to that, win and tell you probably now. put that. <laughs> we should put that up higher. We would put it up higher on our... Uh, list of talking points i imagine yeah but i'm, I'm going to talk to you about I mean. is it creativity in pioneer because that's what i played on the weekend oh sweet yeah but first we have some housekeeping right we really should housekeep we do have some new patrons who joined the dive down nation shout out to scott c who i also believe ordered a rhino boys t-shirt not to put scott on blast but thank you scott for your support your patronage and your commercial support uh stan do you think do you think Scott used his charge card? Wow, Shane. That joke really cascades <laughs> off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> also, uh, we do have an increased tier. Yeah, Mickey S, the other Mickey S. We have many Mickey S's yeah. in the Discord. One of them supports us even more than they did a week ago. So thanks for that. And we got a new review from an Exelon Merfolk. So thanks for that. Excellent, Merfolk. <laughs> it's a good review. Should we read it? Do you want to read it in your Merfolk yeah, call, accent? Yeah, call me an Ixalan Merfolk because I just got plus three great hosts and hexproof from bad takes. <laughs> All timer. That's a good one. Thank you, Ixalan Merfolk. Do you Stand agree, off. Shane? You, you, you think you don't think any of our takes are bad? No, no bad takes. That should no be, bad that, takes. That should be the new tagline. Instead of think good, play bad, the dive down. No bad takes. I, mean, I think that's that's planting a flag. I'm not sure I'm ready to to 
hold up for the next four years mm-hmm. having no bad takes i am willing to always say that uh, think good play bad though uh, if you want to join our patreon you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down you can start with a dollar a week gets you into our discord helps keep us us going if you want to get things like our new set of pins stickers tokens deck boxes play mats things like that you can go up into various tiers uh, depending on your desire and budget so we appreciate all y'all who help keep us going you can go to our store for one-time purchases the divedown.com slash store if you want to rent cards on mana traders and play on magic online without kind of using bots to buy and sell cards, you can use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your first two months. Our friends at Barrister and man have a new code for you. The dive down M 23. I don't know what the M the dive down, mm, dive down, um, dive down M 23. Probably may. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. For uh, 15% off your first order there. And our buddies over at NRG Plus, 8% off your order just from being a Dive Down listener by using code DIVE8. Stanislav. What up, Shane? That's the housekeeping. So I, I realize I kind of put this in the wrong order. So I, I have the breakdown portion in the Dive Down. And I think we should really reverse that. And cause, because this is breakdown content, we should just start with the uh, Pioneer NRG from Minneapolis, St. Paul. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. It's so fresh, so clean. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah, it is. It's fresh in mind. I was just looking at the data even right before we fired off this episode. And so, yeah, this weekend, our friends over at Nerd Rage had their Minneapolis, St. Paul Pioneer 10K on Saturday. And like you said, the modern 5K is happening right now. I think they're through four rounds. And since this is still going on, we're just going to talk about Pioneer. Our uh, own Doomwake was commentating the second half of Saturday. And I believe he's playing in an RCQ in paper today. That's why he's not on. And so, but he commentated the second half on Saturday. It was always great to see Devin doing some commentary with uh, Joe Lissette. It was awesome. We had 161 players across eight rounds of Swiss. And I felt like when we're going into this Pioneer event, things were still feeling relatively stable in Pioneer. Like neither Mom nor Aftermath had created kind of brand new deck concepts as of yet, at least, right? But I felt like there was a lot of potential shifts with some of the power balance in Pioneer and a lot of questions that we have to answer too. Agreed. I, I feel like the, the way I would describe the point you're, you're making as I see it is that there wasn't like a deck to keep an eye on after like this past week No, in, in the post mom meta game. I think there was like cards yeah, not here a single and there. Deck, no. Right. Right. I think there was like cards here and there that like people may have been playing with, but I don't think there was like anything that had become this like new deck to beat anything that had been a breakout prior to the weekend or something that uh, I think people were like especially curious about. Yeah, like the things that I was looking for was like, you know, did Pelucidus Reborn make Mono Green Devotion like the new best deck again? Or, you know, was Rogues going to be a thing with Fairy Mastermind? Was Rona going to be a thing with like Jeskai Ascendancy after kind of like that initial surge we saw on Magic Online or just kind of the Rona combo with Mox Amber? Lotus Field even started playing like Chandra Hope's Beacon. 
which is a card that like none of us talked about, but makes sense in a deck like Lotus Field. And we can probably talk a little bit more about that later. Like Copper Code Vanguard, we talked about that last week. Was that going to be as good as advertised in Mono White Humans? Was Obnixilis, Captive Kingpin, going to make people kind of check out Racto Sacrifice a deck? Uh, excuse me, the Racto Sacrifice deck again. It's always like something that I feel is like lingering mm-hmm. around the top tables and like really good players have done well with it but like you know was it was captive kingpin going to be a new thing to push it and so these are all the kind of things that like i think we had in play mm-hmm. and i think this was the first sort of paper tournament that we could look at and see what people were going to bring to the table and that's where i think there's some interesting things that happened but overall i guess yeah why spoil this let's just get into the overall meta and then we can kind of talk about things after that so here's our overall meta again 161 players, and we had 30 of them on Rakdos midrange. And mm-hmm. I even went into these lists. Like, I, I hovered over a bunch of them on Melee. I didn't see any sacrifice mixed in with the midrange. This is Rakdos midrange. It's, you know, the Shieldred, the Graveyard Trespassers, the Bone Crusher Giants, the Fables, all the usual things. 30 decks, 18.6% of the overall meta. And exactly a 50% win rate. Wow. Wow. You couldn't ask for a better, yeah. better data there. I think this is the perceived best deck. It's certainly the most popular. And I think... It's just... Yeah. I think this the combination like of playing, like... Right? I mean... I, well, well. so look. I, I, th- I think the reason why it's either the best deck or the most popular is because it has three or more of the format's best cards. Like it gets to play Thoughtseize, it gets to play Fable, and it gets to play Shieldred. Yep. And and maybe you can make like a case that um, Bonecrusher Giant or Graveyard Trespasser are also within the class of like the best cards in the format. I'm not sure that that's my opinion, but I, I like Shieldred, Fable, and and um, Thoughtseize are super important pillars right now. And the yeah. fact that this gets to play like three of them, as opposed to like a lot of other decks that like touch blue or touch black or touch red really only get to play like one or two. I can just understand why people just keep gravitating to this. Like it packs the most value and and some of the best interaction. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like, this is one of those decks where even if you don't think it's the best deck, you're probably like, Hey, this is at the worst going to be like a a mid forties to 50% deck. Right. And like, this just lets me make decisions all day. So again, I feel like it's just one of those things where people going to a paper tournament where they're going to play potentially eight rounds, they just want something that's going to be like maybe fun, right? Like, hey, I get to think about stuff all day. But, you know, it's definitely taking up a lot of air in the room, right? 18.6%. That's a lot of people. It's something a, a deck that you still have to plan for and have a plan for if you're going to face it in the mirror, if you're going to you know, be cyberting against it after game one, whatever. Rakdos is not going anywhere. Up next... 15 copies, so exactly half of Rakdos Midrange. We dropped down to 15 for Is It, Cre- is it Creativity? 9.3% of the room, but only a 44.4% win rate. But this is quite a bit more Is It Creativity than I think we have seen uh, at a tournament. 9.3%. Yeah, big big splash all of a sudden. I wonder if they're all playing the Magma Opus Torrential Gear Hulk version. That's the one that I was on that's the version of the deck that I've been paying the most attention to, but I think sure. you can you can sometimes, or I, I'm pretty sure I've seen the Reduke version. Is that a Ghost Worlds by Worm thing? Exactly. Also described as is it creativity, even though yes, 
like the the combo is different ultimately there's a bunch of different builds actually so like we'll get into the top eight one spoilers uh in a little bit but like you know the 23rd place i see xenagos world spine worm the 30th place i see only atraxa the 37th place is another world spine worm xenagos and so on so i think there is a mix of these different decks, like 58th place, Senego- uh, Atraxa, World Spider Worm, 59th place, World Spider Worm, Zenigo. So I think we're seeing more of the kind of, you know, reduke the CFB team, if, if they're still called CFB, I forget. The, that team's build is still looking like kind of the the default. And then did, and you, you in fact, played the torrential, torrential Gear Hulk version, correct? That's right, yes. Cool, so we can talk about that when we get to the top eight a little bit more but yeah i mean the performance is a little bit lackluster but the amount of people playing it in the room is something to take note of and i think we should we should we'll keep an eye on if this is kind of like an increasing percentage in our paper tournaments at least if not nrg but maybe it's just kind of a thing that people have been getting was getting a little bit of a hype and so people were kind of checking it out so we'll see something that I was potentially interested in is mono white humans mm-hmm. with 11 copies, 6.8% of the meta, a about 57 and a half percent win rate. And all of the decks that perform well this weekend appeared to be running for copper coat Vanguard. So the copper coat is in full effect. We've been, we talked about this last week on a little podcast called the dive down and people took note. They were like, Oh, Copper Go Vanguard, I've never heard of this card before. We got to pick these up. The Dive Down seems to like them. Yeah, exactly. That's what, That's they what said. it is. The Dive Down Bump. But no, but in reality, this is a good card for humans, especially in Pioneer, I think. The, the power level is, is quite good for what you want to be doing. And Monoway Humans, we've seen it kind of trickle down both in popularity and in performance into even the 40% at some times of the win rate. And this is a pretty big bump. Now, I'm not saying we can attribute it all to Copper Code Vanguard, but it's definitely a, a good helper. Did you get a sense of what it's replacing? Was that clear? So yeah, the main thing that I think it is replacing, excuse me, Brutal Cathar. Like Brutal Cathar is just sort of not in any of the more recent winning lists where, I mean, that's not exactly true. It's in some of them, but like I see more of a lean towards things like Anointed Peacekeeper, Knight Errant of Aos, sometimes even. So yeah, I think it's still in play, right? I don't think we have like a set 75 for what uh, Mono White Humans is looking like, but I definitely see I definitely see fewer Brutal Cathars, and I see more Copper Coat Vanguards, so that's something. And also more Knight Errant of Aos than I have seen in the in recent times. Mm-hmm. That's two like notable additions to this deck in the last set and a half, I guess. I don't know what, what, if we're calling Aftermath a set or what, <laughs> but like... Three Knight Errant and four Copper Coats. Like, that's big. And Ossification, too. Like, like Ossification was, was the previous set. Like, a really powerful removal spell. So, I think hu- hu- Humans is like... I, I, I'm almost not surprised to see it both this popular and this successful because it just keeps getting influxes of power. Yeah, I mean, that's what it takes to keep deck... I mean, this is very obvious to say, right? But, like, that's what it takes. It's like, if you get three cards or three options over, like... 1, 1.5 sets, like if we talk about uh, All Will Be One and then March of the Machine, then 
you're going to be happy. Like if you get a good removal spell and like a something to increase your clock and make your opponent's interaction much worse against you, then and then also something that you can dig for cards. Like if you if you have Knight Aaron of Eos in your deck, then you you have the ability to sort of refill your hand. Then man, Bob's your uncle. My uncle's name is Yuri. Yuri's your uncle. Mono Green Devotion. Ten copies. Six point two percent. Fifty two point nine percent win rate. So Mono Green Devotion. Uh, a little bit less than at its peak, I think, in terms of representation. But we do see a bump, perhaps a small bump in win rate. I think this is kind of like, hey, Mono Green Devotion, I'm still here. Don't forget about me. And no, no copies made the top eight, but uh, I think it's slightly more than... Like recent tournaments, I think it's been pretty dire, but still on Magic Online, like if you look at MTG Goldfish, Mono Green is still the second deck by a good margin, right? Like in terms of just meta representation. So I think that it's perfectly acceptable and perfectly expected, excuse me, to see it here at at 10 copies. Lotus Combo, 10 copies as well, 6.2% of the meta, 43.1% win rate. Nothing seems to be too different about the way this deck is built. There is a recent addition that seems to be in a lot of decks, which is like a one or two of, of Chandra Hope's Beacon. Uh, that's a four red red walker that gets five loyalty. And we didn't talk about this in our spoiler episodes, but I do see the reason that it's in this deck because you know you can play this and then instantly do something important with it, right? Like, so it reads, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. You can plus Chandra up two to add two mana in any combination of colors, or you can plus her one to exile the top five cards of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from among those exiled cards. And then the minus X is it deals X damage to each of up to two targets. So I think uh, I talked to some of our Lotus players in the Discord, and it seems like something that like people are sort of testing. The, one of the main things you can do is like immediately cast a double copied uh, hidden strings off the mana that she makes, and, uh, and you know the plus one digs. You can remove like t- four toughness creatures, like the turn. Excuse me, like you can remove creatures that turn she comes down. So it's just like you know a flexible useful utility uh, planeswalker i'm curious to see if it sticks around i'm not a lotus player enough to you know speak intelligently to the usage here but she was in the top performing lotus decks grease fang eight copies five percent of the meta a 47.6 percent win rate i feel like the shine has come off grease fang a little bit people aren't kind of rushing to be playing it as much as they they perhaps were in the you know, post pro tour environment but that's where we are with grease fang totally normal performing deck Edigmatic Fire, seven copies, 4.3% of the meta, exactly 50% win rate. I don't really have anything to say about Edigmatic Fires. It just seems like one of those decks that, like, if you like it, you're going to play it. Like, I don't really know, like, when Enigmatic Fires is going to do better than other times. It just seems like, hey, I'm a powerful deck, and I do pretty cool things, and some people like my play patterns, but it doesn't ever seem like it's going to, like, take over the metagame and for any particular reason, right? Well, I think it's just another way of playing control with like little built-in combos and synergies that let you like tap out and still do stuff through fires of invention, essentially. And you're you have like really powerful, flexible top end, like whether it's Atraxa or Tulsimir or Kenrith, like or, or Elish Norn, mother of machines. There's twenty Elish Norns now, so you kinda of have to specify. But yeah. I just I just feel like you you can play almost like a combo control plan with pretty good control cards like lane line binding for 
what it does, arguably the best control spell in the format, other than maybe Thoughtseize. Beyond that, like, I, I think this is just for people who want to test their skill and problem solving capabilities in terms of like how well they're able to use enigmatic fires to leverage like their mastery of the format. Yeah. I'm all for it. another deck people like playing that is perfectly serviceable. Go for it. So this is a deck that I actually thought I would put in that same bucket, like perfectly serviceable deck people like playing Azorius control. There's five players on it. 3.1% of the meta, but these five players went off to a 71.8% win rate. And sure. Two of them made the top eight. <laughs> with seven, zero, and one records, which is going to help boost up a, a win rate like this, right? So I'm not saying like Azorius controls a new scourge of the meta, but I think it's just like, hey, we need to pay attention here. And I didn't see anything really new in these lists besides like one person had a few Chrome host seed shark in the sideboard. Uh, but it's just like what you expect, right? Like removal counters, wandering emperor or something on turn four to fairy on turn five take over the game type thing like you just do your control deck things and you're going to be okay like there's there's a lot of tools in these decks i think that keep them pretty flexible right there's like you know there's there's cheap sweepy type interaction there's you know fairly efficient counter spells and the the planeswalkers i think are extremely good uh in in these decks right yeah i'm, I'm looking at these decks and for a long time like you were seeing sensor as as among the go-to counter spells granted i haven't been paying attention to blue eye control so like i don't know if this is a recent upgrade or not but like none are playing sensor uh, of the top eight decks like one of them is playing two joari disruption but otherwise like a lot of make disappears here and make disappears also a counter spell that the creativity there's a creativity players are running myself included so i wonder if that's just like a better counterspell than we give it credit for. Though you don't necessarily have a lot of ways to make bodies to to casualty it. But even so, like maybe the the pay two is better than the pay one. There was a card called Quench that never made the cut, but I guess Quench never scales up and this does yeah. sometimes. You know, I um I was listening to Grindcast recently and and Chris was talking about how Azorius Control really struggles against Rakdos. But here we see Rakdos is the most popular deck in the field. So to some extent, yeah. like these players had to have faced Rakdos at least once or twice in the tournament. And I always just assume that like based on principle, a control should out <laughs> be able to outgrind mid-range decks. I'm, and I'm not sure why why they felt otherwise, but I think like being able to generate card advantage with things like Teferi, uh, to some extent with things like Wandering Emperor, Shark Typhoon certainly, Supreme Verdict of course, like, I feel like you have the the tools to, like, shut down the attrition game that the Rakdos players are, are trying to operate on and have, like, flexible counter magic that can punish, like, the the combo players. So, like, if you're trying to face against, if, if you end up playing against a bunch of creativity, Grease Fang, Fires, Lotus players, like, your counter spells are going to do a ton of work. If you're playing against humans or mono green devotion, your sweepers and spot removal is going to do a lot of work. And against Rakdos, like your planeswalkers and and like shark typhoons, I think, and and even supreme verdicts as well are are going to help car carry over the top. So this is clearly like a significant performance for the deck at, at above seventy percent. Yeah, but I I never was a believer that the deck itself is bad. I just think it was no, always no. like hard, <laughs> you know, like the way blue white control decks can be hard. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's hard. I think to always present the right seventy five to mm -hmm. a given meta. And 
especially right now, I feel like, you know, things are still in flux, but I can, you know, as we always talk about control decks are the type of things where I think people can really flex their knowledge and intuition when it goes into a matchup and just be like, Hey, this is what I need to be doing here. And then I think there are just sort of play patterns with this deck that are really just hard to beat, right? And whether that's like a turn for Supreme Verdict or even like a turn for Wandering Emperor and then, you know, untap and do like the fairy where you're just holding up counter magic and things like that. Like it's really just rough for a lot of decks to be making a comeback on. And I, I agree with you. Like I don't, I don't really know like what environment a control deck would not want to face a mid range deck, right? Like that's kind of like what you're hoping for. Like you just don't want to get out raced by like Boros tokens or something like that. So, you know, looking at some of the paths people took to the top eight, I do see a number of like Azorius control defeating Rakdos mid range and things like that. But again, you know, these are smaller sample sizes across, you know, many, many, many games in, in these, in this format. Mono Red Aggro is up next. We have four copies, 2.5%, 30% of the meta. Excuse me, 30% win rate. It's funny that I looked at the 30 I put in the notes, and that literally could be a percentage of, the, of a meta in, in terms of a very unhealthy one, but this is a 30% win rate. Apparently, we should just stop trying to play Mono Red in all non-rotating formats at this point, besides maybe Popper. Popper doesn't rotate, right? Um, they do ban. They do ban. Yeah, that that's crazy. <laughs> It's, it's not good. So low. Do not want. Yeah. Mono Blue Spirits is next. Uh, also four copies, two and a half percent of the meta, fifty-two percent. Perfectly fine. Sure. Play Mono Blue Spirits if you'd like. I'm sure it's 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 fun. Gets you to fifty-two percent win rate, which is more than a lot of decks. And then I sort of did my usual cutoff about two percent for my other. Thirty-five and a half percent of the meta was uh, two was three copies or two percent of the meta or below. That included things like Selesnia Angels, which had a really bad day, by the way. Uh, Saltai Neoform, Jeskai Ascendancy combos, the Boros Convoke Aggro. A, only a couple is it is it Phoenix decks like one Rogues, one Racto Sacrifice. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that there was only one Rogues player. I, Me I too. Just, Me too. I, I feel like this deck is one of the hot new entries to modern uh, i mean or pioneer and it's not that new but like the addition of fairy mastermind is exciting and it, it is a thought seize deck which is important it, it's also a shieldred deck i think more often than not so yeah, it, it can be for sure it has some of the good cards you get to play tempo strategy play counter spells and removal spells like i think drown in the lock is the closest we have to term actual terminate so yeah i mean drown in the lock rules it's a very strong card drown in the lock rules so a little surprise there. I'm, I'm like, just as a quick aside, I'm, I'm thinking about like after my horrible day with creativity, yeah, spending a little more time with rogues actually, just Spoilers. to, just, just to be able to play like more thoughtsies, tempo, strategy, on principle. Yeah, I'm not a, not opposed. What, what do you think here, Stan? Like, do you have any thoughts about kind of like you know what we saw? Any kind of insights or surprises for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the popularity of creativity is probably the biggest surprise. Um, and I wonder if that's yeah, yeah, yeah. like the slow maturation of this deck, especially after Reed took it to the finals of, I think it was a pro tour, but who knows? That's yeah, a pro who, tour. Was it a pro tour? It was the pro tour before the one that Nathan won. There's that, that means that there were two pro tours in a row. I mean, that seems, yeah. Who knew? 
who knew? I don't know. But I, I think like that really helped put the deck on the map as like a really strong contender. I think the Creativity Magma op- Opus version has like been getting more attention lately in the culture. Yeah. Um, and I, I've heard tell, yeah, I've, I've heard tell of even a third version that I, I straight up like don't remember what that one's about, but, um, <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> the, the long, the long rumored third yeah. version. Yeah. So in any case, yeah. So to answer your question, the, the, the popularity of creativity was a pretty, pretty big surprise. I also think the fact that mono white humans like is inching towards a 60% win rate is really impressive. It's back, baby. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, I mean, like, I, I think there was a period where it was very popular because it was quite good against Mono Green Devotion. And, you know, we, we, we saw friend of the show just do really well with it, like competitively writing about it constantly. And yeah, yeah. Then, but, the, but then like, I, th- I think it declined a little bit in, in popularity and in conversation, perhaps because of the struggle against Rakdos, which was percolating up. Now we see like all of this in inflection of new cards, like doing a lot of work for it. So I think now is probably a great time to play mono white humans. If that's something that's on your, on your plate. And then the last thing that I, f- I find really interesting is that like this tournament sort of revealed like how hard and fragile, like some of the linear combo strategies are Lotus being sub 50%. Grease Fang being sub 50%. Yep. Creativity yep. being sub 50%. Like, that's now seems like not the best time to try to combo off unless your combo is like to go infinite with Karn in mono green. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I think I, I agree with everything. All these takes, all these hot, good takes that you have, Stanislav. I think that, yeah, I think that mono white humans is like the deck to keep an eye on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is do these recent additions make it just a better deck? than it was and kind of bring it back into the the tier one conversation again in terms of performance. Azorius Control, I think, I don't think it's going to change anyone's play patterns, right? Like, I think if people are Azorius Control pilots, they're going to keep, they, they already were likely playing Azorius Control in Pioneer. But I think that, you know, this goes to show, and I think that, you know, if you look at the, the Pioneer metagame on goldfish like azorius controls like the third most represented deck right like it's and it consistently is that people like playing azorius control and pioneer and they have to do that for a reason like you're not going to continually play unless you're playing modern burn you're not going to continually play like a 40 percent deck just because you find it to be enjoyable uh, i think that you know azorius has the chops and has the cards to to put up a fight uh and especially as the format solidifies uh, more and more right so that's kind of what i'm what I'm thinking, like if I was going to a pioneer tournament tomorrow, I'd probably just take like mono white humans because I feel like maybe people haven't fully prepared for the changes that have been made to it myself. Uh, unless I was some kind of like, you know, Lotus field or, you know, Azorius control master or something like that. But I feel like that's kind of like the deck that I would feel the most comfortable saying, Hey, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and present a lot of threats and see what you can do with them. My friends. Yep. Let's talk about the top eight really fast. We've got Daniel Weiser on Azorius Control, 7-0-1. Sean Gallagher, Azorius Control as well, also 7-0-1. So our two undefeated players, 
are on Azorius control. We have Fletcher Johnson on Lotus Field at seven and one. We've got Connor Lane on Mono Blue Spirits at seven and one. We have in the in the sheet it says Cliff Claff, but I believe on stream this player's name was Cliff Boyardee. So which which I, I mean I don't want to say it sounds like a made up name, but if your name's Cliff Boyardee, sweet, run with it. They were on Boros Convoke. They six oh and two. And this is like what Devin was talking about last week. It's got lots of creatures that are making either free artifacts like Voldaren Epicure and Three Wind Inspector, or they're free artifact creatures like Ornithopter, and Gleeful Demolition is there to blow them up into three creatures. And an interesting addition in this deck was Halo Hopper, which is a three generic artifact, three two convoke. And so I can see a few things here. Like one, it's a mid-size convoke option, where it's just like, hey, I'm just gonna present a decent body for a 3-2. It's not doesn't even fly, doesn't have trample, nothing. But that can also be fuel for like a gleeful demolition if necessary. So you can like convoke out the halo hopper and then blow it up with the gleeful demolition. So maybe that's like a fast way to say like, hey, I didn't have the, I don't have the Voltaire and Epicure, I don't have the Thraven Inspector's Clue anymore, uh, but I can convoke into this Halo Hopper and it's fine on the board as is, or it can be blown up from my Gleeful. Cliff also had two Embercleave for like Reach. It's just kind of a good card to have if you've got a bunch of creatures attacking. And you can have lines in this deck like Reckless Bushwhacker, Surge Turns, you can convoke into Knight Errant of Eos, you can convoke into Venerate Loxodown, you get a lot of power down quickly. So you can be really fast. Like I watch Cliff steamroll a Rakdos mid-range opponent in both of the post-board games just fine. So yeah, it's a cool deck. I think that this is maybe perhaps the new most hype deck we have since Rona at least. And I don't think Rona had a lot of staying power, unfortunately. Uh, or perhaps fortunately, like maybe you don't really want a fast combo deck ruling your format, but Boros Convoke is definitely a deck I think people will continue to experiment with. And I'm I'm not sure if Evan, uh, excuse me, I think Devin was on it this weekend in at his RCQ. So we'll see what he comes back with uh, perhaps next week. Sixth place, Joseph Peo on mono black mid range. This is a nasty looking deck. A lot of black removal, some strong creatures, some sweepers. And this does play a card I was hoping would see play in their spoiler episodes, which is Archfiend of the Dross, which is that two black black flying six six demon that has four oil counters on it. <laughs> and you have to remove you remove the oil counter at the beginning of your upkeep. The oil is, you know, dripping off. And then and then if you have no oil counters, you lose the game. But you have also have a four mana flying six six and when an opponent's creature dies they lose two life so i'd be perfectly fine playing this and then meat hook massacring a bunch of stuff and then you know making them lose a bunch of life i think there's a lot of ways to just really lean into archfiend and this is a cool looking deck seventh place kyle g on is it creativity this is actually what you'll be talking about a little bit later this episode stan so i'll uh good work kyle g on is it and then eighth place was chris smith on niv two lights playing a couple niv visit supremes from aftermath as we've been noticing but not much else that i noticed here and basically stuff happened in the in this in the in the top eight and then Sean G and Daniel W, both on Azorius Control, are uh, one and two seeds made it to the finals, and they face each other, and then Daniel W won. So there you go. Way to go. So the there was one key difference between those two decks in the finals, which is the Daniel W version is also a Yorian deck. The other one was not. 
Mm. Mm. You gotta play Orion. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why not? So, I mean, I don't, I don't have any learnings from this really. Besides, like, hey, don't, don't underestimate Azorius control. I suppose, but like, you know, I think we already talked about that in the kind of overall meta stuff. Like, what my thoughts were, and I, I think the things to watch for me would be like Boros, Boros tokens, Boros convoke, and Mono White are kind of, I think the aggressive interesting decks to me like those are the things i think can put pressure on the format in in an interesting way and so if you're saying like if you're putting that kind of pressure on things like mono green or lotus field or any of like the the slower you know creativity things like that like if the format gets faster then that will impact i think the ability for some of our you know more uh more, more more fun more silly kind of spinning your wheels combo decks that just won't have the time to get everything in place like they did before. So yeah, I think the only other learning is like it, maybe put down mono red. If, if your goal is to win <laughs> competitive tournaments with it, but you, you probably, you had to know that already. You know what I mean? Like that's like, maybe they just audible last minute. Like they were like, Oh, this, this other deck, it's not, not doing what I thought. So I guess I got to play mono red now, but Stanislav, cool. you played some pioneer this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So I played um, a local RCQ with creativity. Sweet. And, uh, I, I went 0-2 drop really bad. Oh, no. Not sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was my... <laughs> not sweet? It was... It was, Not only was it my first Pioneer RCQ, it's my first competitive REL mm-hmm. event of 2023. So... Oh, my um, gosh. Like, I played a handful of FNMs, but I was a little bit rusty in my physical mechanics. Who knew moving across the, you know, ocean... World... Going to a new country, finding housing, solidifying yourself in a new job, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, would would be so so detrimental to your tournament performance and 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 attendance, at least. Yeah, I think I needed to hear that, Shane. Thank you for saying that because I thought I thought it was my fault, but really, it's <laughs> my circumstances. Yeah, blame your circumstances. I and from now on, I will. I, <laughs> Frankly, like I still had a pretty good time. Like even though I left the tournament after O two, that was just like my kid and wife were also downtown, and I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna hang out with my family on this beautiful summer day." And it, it was not for lack of enjoyment um, in the environment. I, I will tell you like a little bit of background on me and this deck. I picked it up two or three weeks ago for the first time after CCR tweeted about it, and I just wanted to give it a spin on a lark. Um, cause I like playing as a control deck. So I play Fable the Mirror Breaker, which is a really good, important card. And I was curious to see how it ran. And frankly, it was like love at first sight for me. I really liked how it worked out of the box. I sent it through a league and I like snapped up a quick three, two with it and felt like my two losses Sweet. were, were like matches that I learned from also that like may have even been winnable if I was a little bit more familiar with the deck. So then I would like tinker with it on Moto a bit and I would also play uh, it on Explorer a lot because it's fully on Arena. Um, so oh, it was sweet. really easy for me to just like play it on trams and in bed, just like a match yeah, here or there. Man, I, I hate to say it. That's like a surprisingly important thing in terms of like my ability to <laughs> to learn Pioneer decks these days is like if I'm playing Magic Online I'm not like gravitating towards Pioneer. And so I'm just like, hey, can I play this deck on Arena? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, can I I play it like in, you know, in idle time when I'm on my phone or something like that or on the couch more easily or like sort of more bite-sized kind of experiences? Even if the games 
still take as long. Like best of three arena, like slow kind of decks or like grindier ones can really take some time. But it's like, yeah, I have I agree with you. Where it's like, if I can play it fully built in arena, sometimes I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like I said, I went O2 drop. I lost to Lotus Field round one, which is apparently one of this deck's absolute worst matchups. It's it's very difficult to interact with them, and they can frequently combo before you do. Um, I took one game. It was my one game win against them. But post-board, they would play things like, I think it's called Sphinx of the Forgotten Word. It's it's like a card from Oath of the Gatewatch. It can't be countered. All of your instants and sorceries can't be countered. And it has Hexproof. So it's just like, it's not going anywhere. What does this deck do? I mean, I know what the old one does. Right, right. This is different. This is not like modern because you're not trying to like, play a bunch of mountains and then get a dwarf token out this is more about um playing blue counter magic and like stack based interaction red point removal in the form of fiery impulse and spike field hazard and the combo is essentially torrential gear hulk magma opus and indomitable creativity so on okay Turn two or so, you discard Magma Opus to create a treasure token. Then on turn four, because you need four mana, you use Indomitable Creativity to destroy that treasure token. You get a Gear Hulk out. Gear Hulk casts the Magma Opus. You draw two cards, deal four damage, tap some permanence, and make two bodies. So it's not really a deterministic combo win. It's more like you do this one-ish card combo. It, it's a two-card combo, right? Like, you need to have Magma Opus in the graveyard somehow, and that usually requires spending a card on it, but then mm-hmm. once that happens, you cast Indomitable Creativity and put yourself so far ahead of your opponent that usually they can't recover, and you have the card advantage to make sure that you stay ahead. Um, so that that's what the deck does. It, it's also a Fable of the Mirror Breaker deck, which is one of the things that I gravitated towards because, you know, we talk about that being one of if not the best card in the format and i just wanted to play the good cards or as many of them as i could yeah play good cards why not so that's what the deck does to answer your question so is is that better than the other things that this deck tries to do with like the you know xenagos worlds by worm etc right so the the difference between the xenagos version is that one does win on the spot like xenagos world spine worm is uh like for lack of a better word, it's a, it is a splinter twin situation. Like if, if those two cards are on the battlefield, you you are literally dead. This is a little bit closer to, in modern terms, what people may recall were like the Madcap Experiment Platinum Empyrean combo, where you would play yeah. blue-red control and then you would like resolve this permanent that was like nearly impossible to, to remove off the board. And then there's just like, you get into this position where there's nothing you can do to like actually beat your opponent. And then they either, you either scoop or they kill you quickly or slowly. It's also a very reactive strategy. And I think the Xenicos version ends up relying a little bit more on like grinding through the deck because that one needs creativity X to equal two as well. So like executing the yeah, combo yeah, yeah. is a little bit trickier. So you have to be a little bit more committed to the combo. Whereas this can sometimes play like a slow reactive game where you're just fiery impulsing creatures, countering other things playing a fable and like saying like do something about this fable and take take a turn off while i build towards another game finishing 
conclusion. So yeah, I, I, I think ultimately the reason why I went towards this is because personal preference made me want to play Torrential Gearhulk, but also like yeah. this is blue red control with a quasi combo finish. Yeah, and you're always into those. You've always been into in Pioneer, especially. I feel like where it's like, hey, is this like a you know a Narset days undoing thing? Like, can I play is it control but have some you know combo control esque ability to win the game? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was doing that in Modern once upon a time too with Kiki Jiki. You know, like I remember, and like you were into the Blue Moon style stuff, weren't you? Were you doing hundred percent? I th- I yeah. was, I was. And this is your thing. Just maybe back I to still it. am. Yeah, it it is my thing. It doesn't treat me well lately. Like <laughs> always suffering. Like me and Indian food, Stan. Yeah, but it tastes so good. We keep coming back. So here, just like a couple of insights about this deck, why I think people are playing it, and why maybe we see it so so popular, is that. It seems to have a fairly good Rakdos matchup. Uh, I find myself frequently beating them, even after they do scary things like Resolve Shieldred or Liliana the Veil, because you can sometimes just like combo out of nowhere, and after a long attrition matchup, you manage to resolve and uh, Magma Opus, and then suddenly you have like more cards, more bodies, and if you actually manage to Magma Opus at instant speed, like also like messing up their tempo with the tap ability mm-hmm. um not to mention the four damage is, is not nothing and and i think that's one of the reasons why we saw so many people pick it up at energy is maybe they perceived that same advantage against rakdos as well and assumed if rakdos is going to be really popular like let's just play a deck that's good against rakdos in terms of the deck's future though like i, I don't think this is going to take over the format to be perfectly honest right now and I think part of its sure. problems is the quality of its interaction, and it always leaves me wanting more from its cards. And why I'm really only talking about like Fable as the best card in the deck in terms of just raw pioneer power level. Things like Fiery Impulse, it runs Make Disappear and Divide by Zero. Like those are cards you play because you need to interact in your colors to the best of your ability at like mm-hmm. the rate. But they're not like the best versions of interactive spells. You know, Bolt is like better than Fiery Impulse, believe it or not. You know, I'm like, <laughs> who knew? A better counterspell. Like, counterspell is never going to be in Pioneer, I don't think. But like a Mana Leak or a Remand or a Memory Lapse, like, would be so much better than ba- make, make Disappear. And the conditional to pay two to uh on make disappear makes it really easy to play around if, if people sniff it out or know that you, you like have seen others they just play slowly and if if you're not coming on fast enough that's just like one of the ways you beat the deck is playing around all of their interaction just because the interaction is kind of dopey sure so long story short deck is fun though i'm i borrow the creativities i'm not rushing to buy them just yet mm-hmm. i'm still going to experiment with other decks in pioneer but i'm not putting this one down either just because I think it's fun and has potential to grow with new additions. If it gets as much love as humans has been getting, yeah, I can see, you know what I mean? Like I can, I can see this, like maybe doing something in the future as a way to play blue red control long-term. Cool. Yeah. I'm sorry you went O2, but I'm glad you enjoyed the time and want to keep playing with a deck. So more power to you, my friend. And you know, what's funny though about these decks though, Stan is like, 
let's say this deck gets better. Let's say this deck becomes like a 57% win rate deck where it's like sort of consistently putting, if this deck was putting up the numbers that mono white humans was for months in tournaments, people would be clamoring for a ban. People hate mm. when decks like this are good. They hate combo mm-hmm. control decks. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's, 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 let's keep it in the, the fair to Midland area uh, in terms of quality and power level, because then nothing will happen to it. Yeah. So Stan, I think we talked a lot about Pioneer. Do you want to spend some time with me in what I will now transition us to the breakdown section <laughs> to talk about some Watsy stuff, some, some Watsy, we'll do some hot takes about decisions that Watsy is making that really don't probably impact our formats very much. So hopefully we won't talk too long about these, but I think uh, there's some interesting stuff that has the potential to impact pioneer impact modern and kind of just get us thinking about kind of i think wizards general approach to the way that they are curating their their paper 60 card paper constructed set 75 cards i don't know 60 cards mm. but the, mean, what i'm what i'm dancing around here is the new ban and restricted update strategy like their strategy update at least so it's funny like i do wish we just called these the the ban strategy because Restriction only comes into play in vintage and no one in paper plays that and we don't talk about it, but you know, everyone calls it BNR. And they haven't done a restriction in a while. If, if I'm not mistaken, I'm clueless. I don't pay attention to that because it just does not, I don't, I do not play vintage. And also yeah. like what well, the reason then like restriction existing serves only to have people be like, what if we restricted cards in you know, normal formats. And then then we have to have sort of the same discussions where it's like, well, this is why this sounds like a bad thing. It just would, you know, maybe increasingly polarize games. And like where if you draw the card, then it's really crazy. And if you didn't draw the card, then you're not happy. And it's like, well, you know, we don't, I don't want to have that conversation anymore. Uh, this is old man shouting at clouds type stuff. But so what's happening here is that magic is moving standard into a three-year rotation cycle. And at the same time, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, perhaps. But with this, they stated that they are moving to a once-a-year banning announcement, but not necessarily bannings themselves, kind of schedule. And this is beginning with the May 29th announcement, which is going to impact standard, um, they directly reference the upcoming Wilds of Eldraine and the Lost Caverns of Ixalan uh, sets not being designed with this three-year rotational change in mind. So something must not mix well with what's coming. Uh, so we'll see what kind of changes that brings. It's not going to impact us, potentially. I don't think there's anything that is really broken in what's going on in, in Pioneer and Modern. Perhaps we'll talk about that in a minute. But so what this is really happening is that once a year it's guaranteed it says it's guaranteed to occur but i guess it means it'll be either no changes or changes and it can include bands in any format and apparently quote plenty of communication with players before these go into effect i don't know why you would need plenty of communication ahead of time that just it does the same thing if you say a card's going to be banned it effectively is going to lower the price in the same way. So anyway, 
the the reason this decision has been made, Andrew Brown says, is because of community feedback saying Wizards is banning too frequently and too randomly, and apparently this is hurting too many players, making it hard to invest in the cards. And so there's also consideration of unbanning cards with leniency being given to kind of cards that have been around for a long while. So, you know, this is where the, you know, why is Green Sun Zenith still banned or something like that? Do you agree with Andrew Brown that, or, or like the nameless face f- fans these days that are saying that Wizards is banning too frequently? Because is it that we don't pay enough attention to standard that that doesn't sound right? Because I'll tell you, mate, that doesn't sound right to me. No, I mean, I have some some stats for what this means for Modern and Pioneer in terms of like how bannings have looked in the past few years. So, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that take. Like, let's just let's just pull this up. Let me let me go click clack. So band history. Let's go down to like 2021, 2022, 2021. No standard bannings. 2020, early 2022, we saw All Epiphany, Divide by Zero, Faceless Haven banned. Okay, so we had that in early 2022. Meat Hook Massacre got banned in October of 2022. And that's it. Those were four cards across an entire year. Three happened at the same time. I think that you could see the writing was on the wall, potentially, for Meat Hook Massacre. So that was something that people had been talking about, I think, for months, whether or not Wizards gave us any indication that it would be or not. So yeah, I wouldn't say like we're we're not in like the Ammon, you know, what is it, Kaladesh days, where like stuff was getting banned fairly frequently. We're like you know Felidar Guardian and Aetherworks Marvel and like a tune with Ether and Rampaging Ferocidon and and all that kind of stuff, right? Like was happening, the Field of the Dead, all that kind of standard Oko, Once Upon a Time, Veil of Summer, like 2019, like 2018 era. Like, I think we're in a good spot. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that might be one way of interpreting why people are not buying into standard. And I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, like, kind of this three-year standard change that's happening. But, like, in, in Modern and Pioneer, like, let's look. So, right now, okay, we have this once-a-year banning announcement. The option also exists for them to have, like, this three-week period after each set release where they can also sort of emergency ban things. Like if something's really bad, like they didn't catch something, right? Like uh, a Felidar Guardian kind of thing with Sahili Rai or something like that's really bad. But like, you know, Oka was around for six weeks in Standard. It was around for like two months in Pioneer, three months in Modern, right? So like, I don't know what this actually means either. I mean, Oka was a card for a different era though. Like Oka, we were in the heat of fire design where i think i think they wanted to see like what happens if it stuck around as opposed to something like tybalt's trickery which was like yeah just like an obvious mistake that broke all the rules (laughs) yeah yeah i I mean i agree i think that you're right i think it's it's more to catch the emergency things right so like what does this mean though for actual modern pioneer because like you know, like you were hitting out with standard. And I think also in modern and pioneer bannings have been really infrequent in the past two years. Plus like we had in February, 2021 which was over two years ago. Now we had the, you know, the field of the dead, the mystic sanctuary, the Simeon spirit guide, Tybalt's trickery, which you just mentioned in Uro in February, 21, we have seen two bands 
in over two years in the Companions of Luris and Yorian, which are cards that should never likely have been printed in the first place and had to be nerfed and had to have the entire companion mechanic changed and nerfed just to make them safe to play still. So I think this shows that modern is at least generally balanced. And what I like is that players seem to be able to self-manage the strengths and weaknesses of various decks, right? So like if something becomes too much of a prevalent force, then I think we see the impact of uh, both printings and of players' ability to regulate those decks by just what they're playing against them, right? There's so many strong tools, so many strong abilities and, and sideboard cards and things like that. And then in Pioneer, again, we had a bunch of bannings in February 2021, but then since then we've lost three cards, Luris in March of 22, and then Expressive Iteration and Winona in June of 2022. So that's already almost a year ago we lost EI and Winona. And Pioneer, I think, has been really stable as well in terms of like relative power level of decks. Like Pioneer has had also, I think, the ability of people and new printings to self-regulate the format and not have people clamoring for bans for very long. I mean, I think we could say maybe Mono Green Devotion, kind of had some things that could have seen bannings, but I think now I think it's pretty safe to say maybe it was a good idea they didn't, right? Because the printings and people's ability to fight these decks and learn how to control their particular uh, levels of attack and angles of attack just shows that I think I prefer, honestly, when they leave the formats into people's hands and uh, the ability of people to say, okay, well, I'm going to fight the deck with just other tools and not have to ban things because then we sort of get the slow creep. This is quite a, this is honestly tangential to like this original banning talk. I agree to what I'm agreeing with myself, which is like, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we see, uh, I, I would rather not see a weird banning list. Like we have in modern where it's like, we have these ongoing discussions where it's like, Oh, could we unban this? Could we unban this? Could we unban this? Because maybe the original banning was not smart in the first place. And I've talked a lot. So like, you know, Stan, get in here. I'm going to nitpick. Like the thing you failed to mention though, the the thing you're failing to mention, I think are bannings that have to happen because something is just like unfun, you know, like sure. The Yorian situation. I mean, Yorian was, wasn't banned because it was too strong. Sure. 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 And in in my opinion, it was was fairly strong. it, It was strong, but it wasn't too strong. It was just like, a, a drag <laughs> like rounds yeah. went too long like the, the 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 games were obnoxious and and i think like that that's what annual bands are going to open the door for is like format health checkups that don't necessarily have to do with yeah with cards or decks being overpowered oh, i see what and, you're and, saying where it's kind of like they're they're forced to look at everything every year and just right. say, hey, even if something's not broken, is it is it healthy? Is it fun? Which yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, and and like we we will probably see years where like something doesn't get banned from your favorite format during the, the annual health check, and that's probably a good thing too. Like that means things are sort of working and designs working as it should. And you may not always agree with those lack of decisions, but. Um, I think annual BNR announcements don't necessarily mean annual bans. Yeah. My only concern is by sort of going on the record saying we are going to ban things. We're going to 
have an announcement once a year. And then the other sort of post-set three-week periods are designed to catch emergencies. Or does that sort of put the ongoing like ban decisions where it's like, this kind of sucks. Do I have to wait nine months? Like it just, like it kind of sucks, right? Where it's like, hey, something doesn't seem quite right. Like Lura seems a little bit too good, but it's not like broken, like Tibble's trickery. Yes. I, I think the answer is just, yes, you're going to have to wait nine months. We waited nine months for Luris. We made it longer than that for Yorian. Like that, yeah. that's just how it goes. You're just going to yeah. have to wait a while. Deal and with again, it. Or, or, or in the case, to your point, in the case of like not banning something from Mono Green Devotion, like literally find a way to deal with it so that yeah. it's not too problematic. Yeah. Here's hoping. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case. I, again, I really don't think this is going to make anything different for Modern and Pioneer especially. But I mean, I think... Because it's a something, it's something that they made a, a they made the the take on it. Like they they put this out in the world and let us all know about it. And so I'm interested to see what the cascading effects of this are. Yeah, I, I think my hope is this makes for an environment where unbans are easier because maybe they can try and unban and then have it that three week window to like say like Urk! record scratch. Mistakes yeah. were made. Yeah, good point. But that's wishful thinking. I just want more unbans. <laughs> so we kind of hinted this three-year standard thing. And again, this mm. has even less to do with what our usual formats are. But I think it's kind of Maybe. interesting. I mean, I think this is interesting because it's another big change, right? Which is like... Yes. Go ahead. So, so I think I, I think that might have more significant cascading effects, actually. Oh. Okay. So here, here here's my my crazy wall theory. One of the reasons why they talk about these three-year standards is it allows them, among other things, to design cards that respond to current standards that end up yeah. in print, like when the cards go live. Yeah, so you they, know what I mean? So like they can plan ahead even more and kind of like maybe to tell tell not only a, a game, like a Vorthos story, but also like a mechanical story. Sure, sure, sure. Or like if they let's say design a mechanic that they have ambition for the mechanic doesn't pan out they can reinforce it do something maybe a mechanic ends up being too good they can print reactions to it without having to necessarily ban something or both like ban then unban print reactions blah 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 possibilities are endless yeah i don't really know how far out they work but i mean with a three-year standard like let's say they i mean i don't know if they work two years ahead or what i, but I like, think that's what it is I, I think that's the number i keep hearing is that like it's, yeah. it's a two-year gap so they might have a small window to still like actually get something into a set where it's like this hasn't gone to print yet it's not it hasn't you know been fully finalized you know and having three years is a good amount of time yeah so here's my my theory yeah. right let's say they print something that's really good in standard that sees play in older formats too. Hypothetical, purely, purely hypothetical Shieldred. Yeah, that happens okay? from time to time. Yeah. So we have a Shieldred that's like kind of good everywhere, right? Right now, if a card like Shieldred was only good in Pioneer and not seen in standard, I don't think they're going to try to design a card to like beat it in, in Pioneer because I don't think that's where their priorities are. I think they're, they have like a lot of care for limited and they have a lot of care for standard and everything else is like second and third order mm -hmm. and like in modern they've just had to introduce like modern master sets to to focus on modern otherwise like nothing was ever going to happen or get done or change um pioneer is just like this whole other different animal though where it's like the the best and worst of both worlds but to my point like they print something like shieldred it's really good everywhere it's potentially too good in standard now they can 
print something in standard that responds to like cards like Shieldred that people in Pioneer and elsewhere also get to benefit from. That allows them to mm-hmm. have cards coexist or exist longer without having to rely on bands to like solve problems. And I think that's where the three-year standard could actually like be the beginning of a of a positive design philosophy that lets them be much more active um, in in like addressing what's happening in formats and and designing to that specifically. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that sounds great, right? It sounds like it's better to maybe have cards solve problems than banning solve problems for sure. Right? Yes, yes, and I'm all for it. Like. We didn't actually say what's happening here. I think sort of people got the idea, like standards moving to a three-year rotation rather than two years. And Forsyth basically was like, players want to play with cards they love and enjoy them longer. And since standards the only rotating format, we want to keep that balance of like freshness and the longevity of cards. There's a middle ground here. And they, they went away from the block model quite a bit ago at this point, but they they, they say that it wasn't, great for their building on themes, mechanically building things. So like maybe with three years of cards, they can do this better. They can have longer lasting archetypes, things like that. And yeah, that's, that's all well and good. Like, you know, maybe if it leads to a better standard environment, both in terms of decks being fun, being maybe equal power level. I don't know. I I feel like this doesn't really solve the problems of like people not wanting to buy standard cards. Like if of people not wanting to play standard, like they're still, these cards are still going to rotate out no matter mm-hmm. what. And like, so unless they're going to be forced to play standard in a tournament season, or they, maybe they just have a really strong standard scene, or maybe they just really like the format. Like that's all well and good as well. But like, if the cards are really strong, like, doesn't this give them like just another year for players to be annoyed by them? But like, maybe like you were saying, Stan is like, maybe it gives the time for Watsy to respond to it with like, with answers, but you yeah. know, like maybe like Shieldred or Bankbuster aren't like broken cards that need to be banned, but it's not like, you know, back in the day, people didn't want like another year of Siege Rhino or like another year of Thoughtseize or Teferi Hero of Dominaria or things like that. Like people like were clapping their hands when like these cards finally rotated. Do you know what I mean? So, and like if the goal is to try to keep things in check with, perhaps more bannings like what's the, what's the benefit what's the benefit of like more bannings but like i i'm hearing what you're saying which is like maybe it's just like more printings and i'm hoping that we have that kind of rotational ability with the with the new extended rotation and just see what happens like like people play standard on arena it's the most yes. popular format it's the most popular format in allegedly arena. right i mean allegedly yeah i mean i don't yeah. think they're lying to us but i don't play it yeah well they might so, be lying uh, to us yeah i i Look, for what it's worth, I, I don't know if I've said this as clearly as I want to. I really like both of these directions. Like, I, I like that they're trying something that's like yeah. a very specific intentional shift in how they approach game design and game management. And like, whether or not you agree that everything is broken, I, I don't think everything's broken. There's always room for improvement. And like, clearly they're just trying to make things more fun. And, and I think sustainable create more sustainable play environments for people and that's that's a good ambition to have yeah i feel like this will barely impact us and if it makes more people enjoy playing more formats then sweet right and additionally if it leads to them 
keeping their eye on things more often, then maybe that's just sort of broadly good too. Like, I mean, I, I don't think that WotC ignores the health of its formats. We, we haven't seen that to be the case, in my opinion. But like, if this sort of cadence allows them to to just say like, hey, this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it, and they make new workflows internally that kind of keep this all in mind very actively, then yeah, sweet, great, I love it. Fun. I think, is it, is it time to wrap? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, we're, you know, we're trying to keep these episodes a little bit smaller for our, our mental health and our ability to go do yard work and see our families. So I can't wait to finish this episode and go jump outside and mow the lawn. Oh, you love mowing lawns, bro. Oh, yeah. You get to you, you sit on your little like five mile per hour donkey lawnmower thing. You, ha- you have your, your earmuffs so that you don't get hearing damage from your from your loud yeah i got I have like my, my mirrored sunglasses my tank top my oh, uh yeah. my miller yeah. light um no no we offense, go, I, I, I like miller light we love miller light get out of this if dave was here he would probably crack open a miller light he drinks those a yeah. lot miller cores get out of sponsor our podcast um i just have one favor before we oh, yeah. wrap yeah will you join me in cracking this booster pack oh my gosh okay you just want you want to drag just, this on I have so many booster packs. Didn't you get enough cracking packs with CCR? Dude, we've recorded two episodes now, and across those two episodes, we cracked six booster packs. There's there's just too much to, to say about every single card. Pod, but podcasters, we need to get a grip and remember how to be be terse. That, yeah, that, that won't be that won't be a problem for us because we're not we're not going to actually talk about limited fodder we're just going to talk about cards that are good and cool but i'm going to open it i'm going to crack this pack on mic obnoxiously so that yeah do it if this episode ends up on youtube people can enjoy it there too all right so sigil sentinel not going to talk about that fertilitz favor not going to talk about that fr's dispersal best blue second best blue common i would say in limited so this is a relevant card ral's reinforcements not going to talk about that I love that card, but we're not going to talk about it. Aerial boost. Shane? Yeah. We're not talking about that card. Why would we? Golden scale aeronaut. Ooh, <laughs> not talking about that card. Kithkin, Billy Rider. One of my favorite names of a card in this set. Yeah, sounds Otherwise, great. we ain't talking about it. Mirrodin Avenged. Could have been the name of a set, and yet they chose March of the Machine for something that comes out in April. <laughs> Marshall Sutcliffe of Zelfir. Shane, did you hear Marshall Sutcliffe said <laughs> the Dive Down podcast on the most recent he episode did. of Limited Resources? You know, it's it's um, well, Ryan Spain was on, and Ryan yeah. and he was like, "You're going to be on. You're going to be on the dive the Dive Down. Is that a is that a podcast? I've I've never heard of them. That's not what he <laughs> said. Basically, he what said Marshall he, said. He said, "I'm scared of those guys. They're coming for the king." <laughs> <laughs> and I have to bear down. All right. So Marshall's at Cliff of Zelfir. This is, I think, a good limited card too. But that's all we're going to say. Artistic Refusal. This was a card that CCR and I talked about on our first YouTube video and uh, that I had underrated and he convinced me it was good. And then I drafted it and it was good. But buddy, we're not talking about it. Fearless Scald. Ooh, sounds hot. Sometimes Scalds can't be fearless. Ah, this is this is a card that Dave really liked and is good in limited, and maybe one day will be good in constructed. And that's Kenra Spellspear. Yeah, what happened Ooh, to Kenra? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, I think we're approaching our rare, so I'm going to open it off camera, <laughs> and now I'm going to show it to you. Our, what's 
potentially our first rare. It's Invasion of Kaldheim. Oh. What does this card even do? Enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your hand, draw that many cards. You may play cards exiled this way until the end of your next turn. That's cool. And on the back, it's the Pyre of the World Tree. Discard a land card. Pyre of the World Tree deals two damage to any target. I love those effects. Sweet. Whenever you discard a land card, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Look, Shane, you yeah. know how I said first rare? We got another yeah. rare. Oh my goodness. Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths. Bom, bom, bom. How is that card? Uh, I don't know. Last card, Jungle Hollow. Jungle Hollow. Doodle-doo, doodle-doo. Love that song. Thank you, Wizards EU, for the booster pack. <laughs> we are using them for content. We're using them for content. I guess you can call like that I content. Said, Reading out some card names and saying we're not going to talk <laughs> about them. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't tell us what to do with them, just to do something, anything. Okay, Shane, good app. I love our I love our twofers, just the twofers of us. But I think that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or reach out to us in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support us by shopping at thedivedown.com slash store. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring The Dive Down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code thedivedown2023, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And you can also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Bear Stern Man using our brand new promo code, the dive down M23M is for May, I'll say today. That gets you 15% off your first order from Bear Stern Man. And then finally, save some money on your own paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8. Gets you 8% off your order there. Thank you, NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and be creative.